This is Zips Unlimited, a show about the University of Akron, its programs, its people, and its community. Zips Unlimited is produced by WZIP-FM. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zips Unlimited. My name is Chris Kepler. I'm the general manager here at WZIP. Joining me today is Dr. Kara Kavaran. I said it correctly, didn't perfect. I? Perfect. Okay. It was perfect. Very good. Um, Dr. Kavaran is uh, an associate professor of instruction in our women's studies program here at the University of Akron. We're going to hear a little bit about the program, a little bit about a really cool guest speaker that's going to be on campus really in just a couple of days. And uh, and you're invited. We're going to well, we're going to tell you how to do how to go about this if you want to. And, and maybe getting some other things as well. So welcome. This is your first time over here, isn't it? It is. Thank you At for having me. At least for Zips me. Unlimited. So. Yeah. She's done the TV thing. Yes. Just not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No radio. Okay. Well, women's studies. Let's start there before we even get into the guest speaker. And I know we've talked about this on this program before with Dr. Therese, but, you know, Kara, I, I don't know if people know unless they're in women's studies or yeah. um, maybe have a friend who has earned a minor or a certificate. Let's talk about what that really means. What, okay. is, what is women's studies? So women's studies is the uh, interdisciplinary study of women and gender in American society. Um, it's really trying to understand sort of how gender fits both into our political lives as Americans, but also into our personal lives and into our communities. So we often take gender for granted where we just, you know, go along with the traditions that we were taught in our families and tend to not really question why we do the things that we do. And so in women's studies, one of the things that we try to teach our students is to look critically and analytically at gender and what it means for us in our society and in our personal lives. You know, taking taking gen- gender for granted, the first thing I thought of was probably a lot of white males like myself. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't we be the ones who probably take things for granted more than a lot of people? Or am I, 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 I think off base that everybody that? takes gender for okay. granted. I mean, we, you know, one of the examples that I always use with my students on our first day is we talk about haircuts. Like most of us, when we were kids, our parents got to pick our haircuts, right? And so girls had long hair and boys had short hair. But as you get older and you get to assert your sense of identity, you get to start to decide how you are going to present yourself. You get to pick your own haircut. You get to pick your own clothes. It can sort of be a rite of passage for kids, like, as they grow up. Mm -hmm. But most of us continue to conform to what our parents taught us we, you know, we were supposed to do and how we were supposed to look. And so then we go through our entire life just replicating these same patterns without ever really thinking, why am I doing this? Like, I, and, and I can say right now, like, obviously none of, none of your listeners can see me, but I am a woman who has long hair. And so to think to myself, like, why do I do this? Is it something I do because I enjoy it and I like my hair and I like the way it looks and it makes me feel comfortable? Or do I do it because I feel like I'm supposed to or I have to or people will make fun of me if I don't? And so just looking at something as simple as that and then looking at the larger sort of social and political ramifications of something that we view as a form of personal expression Mm -hmm. and saying like, well, there's a lot to unpack here. Like there's actually a lot to sort of talk about. And 
if you can look at it from a critical and analytical way, that's not to say that it's wrong to have long hair or it's better to have short hair. You know, it's completely up to the individual. Everybody gets to do with their hair whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, not all choices are freely made and that there are a lot of pressures that are placed upon us that we don't often really think that much about. I feel like some of that unpacking happens for a lot of people when they are in college. <laughs> yeah, do I think, think so. you think that's true? I do. I think, I think for a lot of young people, you know, it's the first time that they're sort of out on their own. It's the first time that they get to make, you know, decisions for themselves without – I mean, a lot of our students still live with their parents, mm-hmm. which obviously no, no judgment. We all know what the economy is sure. like these days. But, you know, as young people start to assert more of their independence, they might start to question some of these things. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, your parents place rules and restrictions on you growing up, and rightfully so, because teenagers are not to be trusted. They sometimes (laughs) make a bad decision, (laughs) Um, a questionable decision. And so, you know, like we need our, we need our parents as, we need our parents or someone, you know, if you don't live with your parents, like you need adult guidance when Mm -hmm. you're a kid. But as you are becoming an adult yourself, so does, the, does the the adult guidance? Yeah. Let's go back to the haircut. <laughs> okay. Should there be adult guidance with how you present yourself? I mean, that's it, it's a sh- that's a should that I mean that's up to every individual family and every individual parent. And as someone myself who is not a parent, like I don't necessarily feel comfortable telling other parents right. like you should or shouldn't pick your child's haircut. Mm. I mean, when kids are little. They don't know. Um, although I, I do have a niece who at three wanted a very, very short haircut. And um, she sort of asserted this to my to my sister. And my sister said, OK. And they went and got her haircut very short. And then for about the next four months, everybody called her a boy, which did not bother her at all, um, didn't seem to face her. And now her hair has grown out a little bit longer. And really what it was is she wanted to look like her friend, like that, Mm -hmm. like her best friend had short hair, so she wanted short hair. And, you know, I mean, this is this is how we start to make our own identity. This is how we start to formulate who we are on the inside. And so I do think that a lot of young people, as they are leaving their parents' household, as they are Mm -hmm. preparing to go out and to start careers and to get jobs, like you are trying to figure out who you are. And I think that. You know, issues of gender and sexuality, as our society gets more accepting of difference, there are more options. Mm-hmm. And so... Well, and you mentioning your niece, really, that's kind of where I was going, not so much to your niece, but just in, in general, <laughs> you know, where I think a lot of people, when they would, you know, if they, especially if they went off to college somewhere, yeah, and that's when they got to be who they wanted to be and, mm-hmm. you know, abandon what they were in high school and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just wondering if you think that regardless of where you're going to college or where you're living... If we're seeing some of that stuff maybe in younger kids now, yeah. high school, middle school, maybe before middle school, where you know they are talking about sexuality, mm-hmm. not so much having sex, but their <laughs> own sexuality and, yeah. and their own um, gender identity and, and things like that. Because I, I think it is not 100% acceptable, but more acceptable or accepted, I should say, than what it was in the past. Is that a fair... I think that it it depends on where you're from and it depends on your family dynamic. Okay. Um, that there are certainly places, like a lot of our students here at UA are from more rural areas in Ohio. And 
I do think that there tends to be a little more sort of traditional thinking mm-hmm. from a lot of those areas where things, you know, progress is always uneven, right? And so here in Ohio, if you're from Cleveland, if you're from Akron, if you're from Columbus or one of the larger cities, you might have a different perspective. Your school might have had, you know, a gay-straight alliance at it or you know, things might have been more open for you. And so you might have been able to already explore some of those things. But for some of our students from more traditional areas, from more rural areas or more conservative areas, I think that they are, you know, exploring once they get here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that we can't discount the impact that internet communities have had. Because even if you're from a rural area or a more traditional or conservative area, if you have access to the internet, that opens up a whole world Mm -hmm. of possibilities for young people. Yeah, that they didn't have access to before. And I think that that can be an incredibly empowering tool for young people who are trying to figure out, you know, oh, I don't really seem like the rest of my high school class or I don't really vibe with, you know, my family's beliefs so much, like I still love them, but I think in a different way maybe. And Mm -hmm. so you can find communities on the internet that you maybe don't have access to in person. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people, you know, when people hear that we have a women's studies program at the University of Akron, I know you've just been kind of explaining, you know, what what that (laughs) means. Do you think that people get it? I mean, are, are there other connotations of what it means to, to be involved with women's studies? Oh, for sure. I, I think that we're all, we've all, we're all aware of the stereotype of a women's studies department that we are, you know, hairy legged, man hating <laughs> lesbians, I think is the, just in a plain spoken sort of way, is the idea of what. I didn't check your legs on the way in. But. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm wearing leggings, so uh, it's very cold outside. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, um, I, I certainly, and my students coming into my classroom, we're all aware of the stereotypes. Mm. I think the word is feminazi. Right? Is they do kids, the kids these I've days? I've never heard still, that. You've I've never, never heard, heard, that? heard that. It was actually invented in the 1980s by Rush Limbaugh, another oh, okay. radio host, yeah. actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there's this idea that, that women's studies is there to indoctrinate people to a specific ideology or a kind of thinking. And that, you know, we demand that everyone agree with our feminist agenda to get an A. And I can tell you unilaterally that is not what women's studies is and that is not what we do. Well, okay, two things. One, um, just for the record, I know the answer already. (laughs) I I just want to say that out loud. Yeah. But um, man-hating. No. Is this an anti-man sort of mentality? I don't think so. I think that we can be critical of masculinity, but I think that we can also be critical of femininity. And I think that encouraging... So next semester, a little brief plug for my class. Okay. I am teaching a class on masculinity studies oh, really? um, through the women's studies program. And this will be the third time I've taught this class. And it's interesting because it's usually almost all women um, that apparently there are not a lot of men Men students who want to learn about masculinity? Who, who <laughs> want to critically and analytically now, study I'll masculinity. You, you know who's been on this with me a couple different times is Dr. Uh, Ronald Levant. Yeah. And uh, psychology professor emeritus. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of his research has to do with, with masculinity, toxic masculinity, you know, the way that we're, you know, 
um, you know, kind of socializing boys yeah. and, and how that's really more to blame. It's not a DNA thing. It's not a genetic factor. No. It's the way we're raised. Yeah. And that's that's been his whole, not his whole research, but I mean, that's been a lot of what he did throughout his career. That's really yeah. interesting. I wrote a paper a few years ago on superheroes and masculinity and... Um, it's actually it's called Super Daddy Issues, okay. <laughs> um, and you know we analyze a lot of Marvel movies in it and and DC movies and sort of go okay, you know not all masculinity is toxic and I feel like when we throw around the phrase toxic masculinity a lot it makes it seem like we are against masculinity when in fact we are against a form of masculinity that is harmful to both men and women. And understanding what healthy masculinity can look like, I think, is, again, a really powerful tool for understanding some of the behaviors that we engage in that are harmful to ourselves and harmful to those around us. So There are people out there who I, who I, I believe think that when you have these discussions, it's about demasculating. You yeah. know, and, and same thing with women, to make it where everybody is kind of gender neutral. And I, that's not what I'm hearing from yeah, you at all. No, I'm, but I'm I think there are of, thoughts like that out there. I'm always sort of baffled by this notion that, you know, when I talk about how I want to deconstruct the gender binary to use, you know, some fancy, some fancy words, which basically to me just means, you know, everyone should be able to choose who they want to be and how they present themselves and any combination of masculine and feminine traits. And to me, you know, Y'all listeners, you can't see me right now, but I am a very feminine presenting person. I'm wearing a dress right now. I have long hair like that. This is how I feel comfortable. This is who I am. I don't think that, you know, to say we don't need to abide by these rules anymore is not to say I think everyone should be an androgynous robot who wears a jumpsuit and has an asymmetrical haircut. Like that, that notion that, that to allow people to do what they want is the same thing as forcing people to be androgynous mm -hmm. is like a very weird distorted understanding. And I, and I've never sort of really understood where people get that from <laughs> that. I just think people should be allowed to be who they are. Mm -hmm. And which kind know. of takes you really into, which was my other thing was, was, you know, theories of feminism. Yeah. You know, when you were starting to talk about masculinity and, and that sort of thing, you know, when we get into theories of feminism, which which really is, and you tell me if I'm wrong because you you research and <laughs> teach this stuff, I don't. But basically, it's just about equality, is it not? Yeah, I mean, my basic working definition of feminism is that men and women should be equal, and we're not quite there yet, and we need to keep working on it, and that's it. I you know, so when whenever anybody is like, "Why are you a feminist?" I always say, "Well, why are you not a feminist?" Like. That if feminism is just the belief in gender equality and it, you know, I am not saying that women should act like men. I'm not saying men should act like women. I'm saying everybody should be able to act however they want to act. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, I'm always sort of baffled by this, by people who are so against feminism, because to me, that just means you're against equality. And I I like I don't understand that perspective. Yeah. You said you don't have a lot of uh, young men typically sign up for the masculinity mm -hmm. class. <clears throat> um, do we have very many young men in women's studies? Usually, yeah, about um, 
I would say a fourth to a third of my class okay. tends to be men. Although I do have to say in my current in-person class, I only have one man, um, one male student. And uh, in my online class, there's a lot more. And so it's usually about about a third, I think. And I would love to see more men in my classroom. I really would. I think that I think that there is a stereotype that it's going to be somehow ho- a hostile in- environment for them. But I just want to let any any <laughs> – a uh, man who is a UA student listening to this right now know that women's studies is in no way hostile towards men. Um, and I am always delighted to get uh, men in my classroom and to get, you know, different perspectives. I think that different perspectives always make conversations more interesting. And so mm-hmm. the more diversity we can have in our classrooms, the more diverse discussions we can have, and the more we can all learn from each other. All right. Let's show my listeners, this is Zips Unlimited, uh, 88.1 WZIP-FM. My name is Chris Kepler, General Manager, talking with Dr. Kara Kavarin, and we're talking about women's studies. You just mentioned women's studies courses are not hostile <laughs> environments uh, toward men or toward anybody, and another non-hostile uh, event would be the Women's March. Yeah. And the co-founder of the Women's March is somebody that we're going to be welcoming to our campus on Tuesday yeah, that's I'm kind so, of a big deal. I'm so excited <laughs> about this. I really am. I uh, I have to admit that I was the person who suggested we reach out to her okay. when when we were um, brainstorming for like, well, who do we want to bring on campus this year? I was like, well, I have an idea. <laughs> like, can we reach out to Linda Sarsour? So we did, and and um, I think we got lucky that she had time available to come out and talk to us. Uh, tell us a little bit about her her background. I mentioned she was a co-founder of the Women's uh, March. but Yeah. Um, Linda Sarsour is a Palestinian-American activist. Uh, she's from New York City. She was the co-chair of the original Women's March on Washington in 2017, and then the chair of the 2019 Women's March on Washington. She currently is the co-founder of an organization called Empower, which is about um, combating Islamophobia and white supremacy across the United States. She, I think, is an amazingly inspirational woman, and I'm so happy that she's coming here to UA on International Women's Day. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, March 8th is International Women's Day, so um, I just think that it's symbolically just so beautiful that she's going to be here on that day. Now, that's going to be over at the Student Union Mm -hmm. uh, Tuesday night at 7, I think? Yes, and she will be doing a book signing for her autobiography afterwards. Okay. So if anybody wants to pre-order a book on the internet before the event, mm-hmm. um, we will also have some copies for sale there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, just to clarify, you know, if I'm not in women's studies or if I'm not even a student at the University of Akron, I could still... Oh, yeah. It's a free, free event open to all. And I would love to see um, community members there, love to see anyone who who wants to, you know, listen. And I was thinking about this on the way here, that I know she can be kind of a controversial figure, that there are some people um, who don't agree with everything that she has to say, which I understand. I don't agree with everything that any person has to say, <laughs> I, I don't think. I think that there's an aspect of that, too, is like you're never going to agree with right. everything someone says. But, you know, I just want to say that she is a person who has dedicated her life to making our country a better place for all of us. And I think that, you know, you don't have to agree with everything she has to say to be inspired by someone who has 
dedicated themselves to activism, who has dedicated themselves to making all of our communities better. And so I think that you can be inspired by her and still not agree with everything she has to say. And, you know, I, I and I am certainly one of those people, like, I'm so inspired by her. Um, I have met her a few times before for a, a few other events that she has come to do here in Ohio and and one event that I was at in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. Um, and I just, she is such a kind and amazing human being that I think that everybody should come and hear what she has to say. Okay. Um, I want to go back to women's studies just for a moment. Sure. Um, you, you've been talking about, you know, what, what kinds of things are talked about in classes and, and, and that sort of thing and what it is and what it isn't. For somebody who's saying, yeah, but why would I want a minor in, in women's studies, or why would I want that certificate? Which, by the way, you can do graduate level as well. Yes, undergrad we have, or grad. Uh huh. Okay. Um, you know, some people want to know well, what's the payoff. You know, if I get <laughs> yeah. this degree or I get the certificate or mm-hmm. whatever, what am I going to get out of that? Yeah. Um, I think that first I would say like one of the advantages that women's studies has is that we are interdisciplinary. So we pull. I personally am a historian. Um, we pull a lot of people from sociology, from psychology, anthropology. We sort of pull in all of the social sciences, the humanities within our classes. And so we're teaching you, you know, not just one subject. We're teaching you to be able to understand the gender perspective in a variety of subjects. And mm-hmm. I think that makes it work with a variety of majors. I would also say that women's studies not only is very topical um, in terms of what is happening in our world today and larger conversations that we're having, um, not only just in the political sphere, but also in the sort of social and cultural sphere. Um, I would also say that, you know, one of the fundamental things that women's studies teaches you to do is understand power structures and understand how things are sort of created and perpetuated within communities. And that to me is sort of a universal lesson mm-hmm. that that is going to be helpful to you not only in whatever career you go on to have after you leave UA but also just in your own human life um, and so I see women's studies as a really powerful tool both for people's future careers and also just for their future lives mm-hmm. I can see where that could be an excellent compliment to just about any degree, really. Yeah, I, you know? I get a lot of, for our women's studies minors, there's a lot of folks from counseling psychology or yeah. social work or, you know. Hopefully some of our media people are here. <clears throat> I'm not sure about that, actually. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a great, that would be a go. great minor if you're a media studies major. Yeah, that'd it be really excellent. Would. Um, and there is a gender and pop culture class that will be offered, I think, next year. So okay. for any of y'all media, pe- media folks, sure. um, We'd love to have you over in our gender and pop culture course. All right. Well, listen, if you want to learn more about uh, women's studies, maybe you just want to, you can look up um, Dr. Kavarin and, and Dr. Treese and, and just learn a little bit more about it, uh, maybe get some more information. You can go to the university's website, uacron.edu slash WS. It's WS for women's studies. Thanks for joining us. Zips Unlimited can be heard each Saturday at noon on 88.1 WZIP FM. Z-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-